Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, emails to corktoday at uh, c103.ie. The eviction ban is getting, uh, will be lifted at uh, midnight uh, tonight. And I've already heard the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, you know, saying, oh, there's a safety net there to protect um, uh, tenants. And that it would actually, he reckons that if they extended the eviction ban, it would actually make things worse. But I, I think for people that are facing eviction and have this now know that in the coming weeks and months they're going to have to leave the house that they're living in saying that things will only get worse if we extend the evict- eviction ban isn't it's not going to go down well with many people and we've received an email in from a listener that really sort of I suppose sums up just how difficult it can be for people who are faced with that that dreaded letter coming in from the landlord or the phone call or an email from the landlord giving you a termination notice and setting the date uh, when you will have to leave your uh, premises and this is and we did contact her she wanted to come on air but obviously when you hear her email uh, you'll realise she's just so upset at the moment but it reads Dear Patricia I've commented onto your programme before regarding the ongoing housing uh, issue we all hear daily the traumas the stress the anxiety of the eviction issue for families and indeed for individuals I think like with every situation until it comes to your doorstep it cannot truly be understood. I would like to briefly describe to anyone who thinks that they do understand what the lifting of this eviction ban means and the comment that you'll all hear, ask you something will turn up for you. Why don't you buy a house? Go to the council. They'll look after you or give your TD a phone call. We can't sleep at night without medication because simply our minds are racing all the time. I spend every waking hour online searching for premises to rent or premises to buy. In turn, filling out demoralising application forms as you can't phone. It's a process of elimination based on what you say. It really is a lottery. We receive phone calls from our son's school with distressed teachers who are now trying to pick up the pieces and adapt to dealing with this new social issue that they are facing when children, like my 10-year-old son, suddenly bursts out crying inside in the classroom, worried about where they will be living. Will it be Patrick Street, he asks, like the people we've given money and food to, the homeless people we see on the streets. We write email after email to every political party, independent and leaders, and they just get back suggestions of schemes after schemes that we don't qualify for. You become angry with everyone around you who says, oh, sure, can't be that bad. You resent family and friends who could help 
but simply don't offer. Relationships break down as the anxiety and the stress builds. You become a recluse as you don't want to talk about it and you become physically and mentally drained, exhausted, even depressed. We avoid our calls from the landlord asking when will we be leaving and we avoid registered posts from solicitors. We phone and wait for Threshold and other charity bodies for advice and help and we simply go around in circles. We cry and deal with banks begging them for mortgages and when we get one we can't find a house to buy and when you do you have to move an hour away which you will accept and is perfect. Then we deal with the auctioneers, they drive up the prices so in the end we can't afford to buy. Then the time starts to run out on your mortgage and guess what you have to start the process all over again. You avoid the doctor so that your mortgage protection doesn't go up on review because you're terrified that your doctor will list your current anxiety and stress. You question, would you be better off dead as at least your family would have the insurance from your death? You contemplate separation or giving up work to access more help through social protection. Earning too much for social housing Earning too little are you too old for a sufficient mortgage. Houses that need renovation are cheap, but you can't get a mortgage on them. Schemes are available, but not affordable. Um, not, but not affordable that they are there to, just to make the government look good. Sites and service connections, simply too expensive. You try all the time and reassure your children that they will not be homeless. And you repeat that a home is where we are all together. It isn't a building of bricks and mortar, but it's what's inside. But you know yourself you're lying to them because the reality is we will be homeless like the thousands of others with no hope, no help, empty promises and empty suggestions. We are a working family paying over €300 Euro per week to our lovely taxman. We are begging to buy a home, begging to house ourselves. We are the lucky ones. We don't need social housing, but yet we can't. We can buy, but we simply can't find a house to buy. Homeless isn't just for the poor or people on low income. It doesn't discriminate and it will get worse. Uh, it will need, we, we will need to break the law in order to overstay on the property we're currently in. It's demoralising. That's the reality, a living hell with no end in sight. So for us, it'll probably be emigration. Our lives are falling apart. That is just truly one of the saddest uh, emails I've read out, I think, in quite uh, some time. But unfortunately... It is the reality and it is the reality for so many people all over the country. Those people that are really caught in the middle, the ones that are just earning outside of the limit for social housing. They're not on a HAP payment. So that means that they, they can't even go to the council to say, can you do the tenant in, in situ uh, scheme? They're desperately trying to buy a property. They're constantly getting outbid on every house that they try to buy and then having to go back and get all the paperwork done again on another uh, mortgage. And to hear this listener say, we'll probably have to more in, have to emigrate. We're forced people to leave our 
beautiful country, people who want to remain here. This is their home uh, country. But some people, even those, you know, both working and simply can't afford to buy a house. My heart absolutely uh, goes out to this uh, couple who are facing uh, eviction. Their eviction notice is up in uh, April. And and I can fully understand why they will do that, why they'll break the law and just overstay. And there will be a number of people, I think, will go down that route because I think when you have children, whatever about its adults on their own, you might put up with couch surfing, you might put up with going to some kind of homeless accommodation. But when you have children, you're always going to put your children first. As I say, my heart goes out to you. Kind comments coming in from our listeners. Uh, people saying I'll be praying for her. really hope everything works out for uh, her family but one of the points that she makes in the email is that you know the government she feels there are empty promises and the suggestions that, that they're making simply not going to work for everybody and as I say I heard <clears throat> Eamon Ryan the Minister for the Environment earlier this morning speaking on national radio, you know, talking about the government and they are delivering solutions on uh, on housing. And he, he said this morning that if anyone's at risk of eviction, you have the right of first refusal to be able to purchase a property. And um, there's also the tenant in situ scheme so that households in receipt of supports like HAP can avail of that option. And then he said for anyone who isn't in those circumstances, he's saying that they're going to get the local authorities or an approved housing body to be able to purchase the property and rent the house back to the tenant at a cost rental model. And on paper, they all seem like really, really good suggestions. But I'm reading earlier uh, what could be a real spanner in the works for the local authorities purchasing houses, be they tenants in situ or be they buying houses along with an approved body to rent back uh, to people. It seems that councils can't afford to buy houses where tenants have been served notices to quit because it seems the landlords are asking too much money for the homes. A number of local authorities have reported incidents where they tried to buy where a tenant was at risk of eviction but the offers fell apart when the council was unable to pay what the landlords was asking for and one uh, case that was cited with Kilkenny County Council and they're now scrambling to try to find housing for a family facing eviction uh, but they went to the landlord and said the council said look we'll buy the property from you so that we can leave the tenant in place but the landlord said not interested in purchasing from the council because the landlord reckoned that she could get more money by putting the house up on the open market and that now is being replicated I imagine around the country and it's prompting fears that families at risk of homelessness could be used as a bargaining chip by the landlords who will try to get a higher price for the uh, property. And when defending the lifting of the eviction ban. The government, along with what Eamon Ryan uh, was saying this morning, is pointing to all of these schemes that have been put in place to protect the tenant and to provide these safety nets. And one of the ones that they're all talking about is this tenant in situ scheme. But that just doesn't seem to be working if the council can't afford it. And it might also explain there has been that this tenant in situ scheme has been around for a good few months now, but there's been a very low take up of the measure and for example in some parts of the country there are councils who have bought zero properties under the scheme so local authorities are also reporting costs have been the barrier even after landlords have expressed an interest in selling their rental property 
to the council. Now, the Department of Housing, they've issued guidelines on how much councils can spend on a second-hand property that will then obviously go on to be used for uh, social housing. And the most recent guidelines were circulated last year. The department now is expected they're going to have to update the guidelines in the coming weeks. And actually, Ono Bryn, He's the Sinn Féin spokesperson on housing and he said while local authorities should have some discretion on the final price paid, he said it is important that tenants at risk of homelessness are not used as some kind of a bargaining chip by the sellers to try and extract what could be an unreasonable price from the state for the house. He said local authorities will offer market value that is fair and he really does hope that landlords who are selling will accept the market price particularly because the consequences of not doing so will render the person or the families homeless. And in many cases, the landlords will know these people because they'll have been renting the property to them. And you would like to think they've built up some kind of a relationship with them. So you would, you would like to think that they'll go for just whatever is the market value of the house. Local authority will agree on that. They'll accept that price and then the tenant can remain in place. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. With the ending of the eviction ban from midnight tonight, the Simon communities of Ireland are still urging the government to change their minds, saying it's never too late to reverse a bad decision to talk about, in particular, the lack of rental properties. I'm joined by Paul Sheehan of uh, Cork Simon. Good morning to you, Paul. Hi, Patricia. Now, your latest uh, Locked Out of the Market report, which, of course, examines the rental options available nationwide, it makes for pretty stark reading, doesn't it? Oh, it really does. And, you know, I don't want to be a doomsayer on a Friday, particularly. But, um, you know, to give it a little bit of context, this is what anybody who is desperately at this stage searching for somewhere to live would experience if they were depending on the private rented market. And, you know, their options are severely limited. And I think it would be fair to say that, you know, anybody who's stuck in emergency accommodation and depending on the private rented market to get out, and most of them are at this stage, uh, then they are pretty much locked out of the market. Um, it, it makes for some really stark reading. It's probably the worst report we've seen in terms of the number of properties available. Um, in Cork City Centre, you know, they more than halved compared to December, just 15 properties available. Uh, and that's all property types uh, over the three days of this survey in March. And in Cork City suburbs, just 22. And obviously the suburbs extend quite a bit into the county. Um, so um, it, it really is grim reading. Once upon a time, Paul, getting a job was the route out of homelessness. But today, even fully employed people, I've just read out a heartbreaking email from a listener, you know, both parents uh, working and they are now facing uh, homelessness. So having a job is not the route out of homelessness anymore. It's not. And we're seeing that ourselves. Uh, We've started to see it this year, for sure. Um, One man in our emergency shelter, um, he's been searching for over six months for somewhere to live. He moved here from from Galway uh, as part of his job. Um, Anything he's looking at is anywhere from 1,200 to 3,000 a month, uh, which is well beyond uh, what he can afford. Um, He puts his head down in our nightlight service uh, when he can get a space. Um, but, you know, as he says himself, it's no way to live. Um, there's another man in, in the Midwest, in Limerick, um, relationship breakdown. He left the family home. He was living in his car during the worst of the winter, December and, and January. 
um, and, and he can't find a place to live. Um, he's also got health issues. Uh, but both of them are working. Both of them are trying to hold down a job uh, while trying to survive in emergency accommodation. I mean, you know, that's that's a recipe for disaster, really. And and the big problem with the eviction ban being lifted from midnight, have we any idea, Paul, on the numbers of people that are going to become homeless? Like everyone isn't going to become homeless tomorrow, but it's going to be over the coming yeah. weeks up to, I think, about June. But we have, is there any, do we know the numbers? We have an idea, Patricia. The uh, RTB, the Residential Tenancy Board, uh, published figures a few weeks ago relating to the third quarter last year, just before the rent, uh, the, the eviction moratorium was put in place. And almost 500 notices to quit were issued in the southwest, uh, most of them in County Cork. Uh, not far behind was was the city, and in third place was was Kerry. Um, and I've heard it said, you know, that that the majority of those play, people will find some place to live. Well, the locked out report suggests otherwise. Like, where are they going to find some place to live? And you know, we're pretty sure, and and our own experience would tell us that people will do everything possible to keep a roof over their head, including staying with family for as long as they can, including staying with friends as long as they can, or a whole series of friends for as long as they can. But that eventually runs out of road. And uh, we have no doubt but that we're going to be seeing some of them and knocking on our door come June, July and August. And that certainly was our experience last year when the last uh, moratorium was lifted. And we began to see numbers increasing from July and they increased steadily since then. And we have no reason to believe this is not going to happen this time around. Yes, it's fair to say that the government are, are ramping up efforts to try and keep people in their homes. But these are new initiatives, or most of them are new initiatives. And we've been saying all along they should have been rolled out once this moratorium was put in place six months ago. Uh, but it's only now that they're beginning to be rolled out. And, and we think it's too late for a lot of people. Because I'd heard Eamon Ryan, the Green Party leader this morning, saying a delay in lifting the ban would lead to the exact same debate down the road or possibly a worse uh, situation. But yet the Simon community, you're still saying it's never too late to reverse a bad decision. No, I mean, we should be doing everything possible to keep people in their homes, Patricia, because there's two problems. One is people stuck in emergency accommodation because they can't find a way out. And the second is a continuous flow into emergency accommodation. You know, we've got to stop that, first of all. And second of all, then we've got to do everything we can to get people out of emergency accommodation. But, you know, we're heading into, you know, to use that old cliche, a perfect storm at this stage. Um, and, And as it is, emergency accommodation, not just in Cork, but across the country, is at capacity and beyond. I mean, it is bursting at the seams. And the homeless figures from the Department of Housing will be published today, and that'll give us another indicator as to where we're going. But we've seen pretty much month-on-month increases over the last six months. But the big worry now is you, th- there's no emergency beds left. I mean, you're that's it. Pa- packed to capacity every night. We are. Uh, absolutely packed to capacity. Every spare space we can find is being used and then some. Uh, we're seeing more people sleeping on the street. Our outreach team is meeting more people sleeping on the street. It's not a tsunami of people, I have to say, um, but it certainly is significantly more than it was this time last year. Um, and there is nothing, we can see nothing that suggests things aren't going to get worse in the coming months. And, and you know, it's not in our nature to say that. It's not know, in our nature to be negative. But, but there, is, there is nothing in the wind that suggests to us 
that things are going to improve in the next few months. And the government constantly defending the lifting of the moratorium, saying, look, we're putting lots in place to protect tenants and to provide safety net for renters. And, you know, they constantly talk about the tenant in situ scheme that's allowing the local authorities uh, to purchase homes if the tenant is under the HAP uh, scheme. But I'm reading in the papers today that councils are saying they can't afford the asking price and that some uh, landlords are almost using the tenants in a bargaining chip to get extra money. So the tenant in situ scheme doesn't seem to be working. I know there's a lot of unintended fall, unintended fallouts from this, Patricia. But like to be fair to the local authorities, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody knows what the, everybody is hit by the cost of housing at the moment. Whether you're trying to rent, whether you're paying your mortgage, the interest rate increases. I mean, it's crazy. We did see a fall in house prices recently. Uh, how long that will last, who knows? But to be fair to the local authorities, I mean, you know, they obviously need the budget to do it. They obviously need the staff to do it. Um, this is only being rolled out now. Um, so, you know, how many tenants it's going to benefit, it is very hard to say. If this was rolled out last October when the moratorium was put in place, yeah. and chances are, you know, it would have been in some fit state right now. But it's going to take some time for that to ramp up and to kick in. And, you know, once somebody is, is homeless and ends up in emergency accommodation, Patricia, right now, it is very, very difficult to find a way out. Uh, most people will be depending on the private rented market and, you know, the properties just aren't there or at least ones that they can afford. What's your advice, Paul, uh, to people who will be facing uh, eviction over the coming weeks and months? Oh, you know, I, I think <laughs> to try and stay calm is the first thing. And I, it's, it's easy for me to be saying that, but, um, you know, there is a bit of time, there is a bit of space, contact everybody who you can, the local authority, organisations like ourselves, uh, Threshold, uh, other organisations that may be able to help in some way. Um, But look for help from every quarter. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You know, quite often when people knock on our door, it's the last resort. They've explored every other option uh, and and we're the last option open to them. Um, So ask for help as quickly and as soon as you can um, and just try and get get the everything that's out there available to bring to bear to to try and hang on to that roof over your head like people do that anyway patricia yeah um you know we see people who you know end up back in the family home that quite often isn't an ideal situation um there was a report uh published a couple of weeks ago uh, relating to evictions in dublin um and, and people ending up in, in homelessness in Dublin in the last six months when the moratorium was in place. And the data suggested it was because of family relationship breakdown, that you've got all these people in a very confined place. And you know what it's like with families. Yeah, it'll be uh, okay for you know, a few weeks. Often. Yeah, but then when it goes on and on yeah. and on. Yeah, and you've got adults living with their elderly parents. And, you know, it's it's just a, a pressure cooker really waiting to blow. Um, uh, and people stay with friends for as long as they can. I mean, it's terms sofa surfing. That sounds very nice. It's far from it. You might stay with one friend for a few nights, another friend for a few nights. But that eventually is going to run out too. Um, and then eventually people end up with their possessions in a bag knocking on our door. Um, and, you know, any help people can get before that. Um, go for it absolutely go for it it's dreadful 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 times ahead for people listen uh, Paul we appreciate your contribution to the programme today thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us
Thanks a million, Patricia. Uh, good morning to you and uh, the best of uh, luck to everybody in the Cork Simon community. They do, they really do the most amazing work and they really are at the cold uh, face of it. Okay, some of your thoughts in uh, Dave says, Patricia, why aren't the bishops and the priests speaking out against what is a very cruel situation with regard to homelessness. They have a great opportunity to renew themselves. I'm sure people would appreciate their contribution and their leadership. And John says, Patricia, remember during COVID, not so long ago, did we ever think we would ever see anything worse than what we lived through in COVID? Imagine being put out of your home and becoming homeless. It's a disgrace by this government. The country needs to start to protest. Shame on the government for the lifting of the eviction ban today. And just on some uh, breaking news, the man and the woman that were arrested last week in relation to the Kerry Babies case, uh, they've now been confirmed as Baby John's parents pair were arrested last Thursday. Uh, When they were arrested, they voluntarily gave DNA samples. Their DNA samples have since been analysed by Forensic Science Ireland and it has just come back that they have been confirmed as Baby John's parents. Their solicitor says they're denying any wrongdoing and they completely maintain their innocence. Uh, And of course, we know it's approaching the 40th anniversary next year since Baby John was found stabbed to death on a beach in Cahirsivine. But the confirmation that they are the parents of uh, baby John. So let's see where that uh, story goes. 0818103103. Now calls have been made for the Department of Education to prioritise the increasing lack of secondary school places for male students in the greater Clonakilty area. To discuss this ongoing problem, I'm joined by West Cork Councillor uh, Paul Hayes. Good morning to you, Paul. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're welcome to the programme. Now, this problem hasn't appeared overnight. When did the area start to struggle to accommodate every secondary school pupil, and in particularly the boys? Yeah, as you say, it's it's been uh, a very long uh, time issue in Clannacilty, uh, even in my time uh, in Clannacilty Community College, which, which certainly goes back a bit. <laughs> uh, I did my leaving cert in 1995 um, and for a, a long time, even back then, you know, there were promises, especially around election time, I'm sad to say, uh, of, you know, school extensions coming um, and look, you know, promises were made and promises were broken and it didn't, uh, it didn't actually realise uh, school extension until 2020, would you believe, you know, and up until that time, you know, students would have had to, you know, be accommodated inside in prefabs and others then would have to maybe travel a mile by foot uh, to the western side of town um, to attend classes in an old technical school, which was kind of reopened as kind of an overflow area for for the school. So as I said, for, for approximately 20 years, uh, this issue of overcrowding was was uh, was ongoing, but thankfully, a new fantastic facility um, opened in 2020. But it took so long to get to that point that the, that the plans and and the and the scale of the of the project and the extension was already out of date, and the school was already under pressure uh, numbers wise. And it's it's an issue for the boys, not for the girls. More so for the boys, um, like the, 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 the girls' secondary school has, uh, I suppose it's, it's at stage one uh, of a, a, an extension project of its own. Um, but I suppose like capacity issues aren't as, as bad at the moment in the girls' school. But I suppose given you know, the massive development that's going in around uh, Clannacilty at the moment and into the future, 
like it won't be long before the girls are going to be, uh, I'd imagine, um, under pressure as well. But for 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 the moment, the priority is certainly the uh, yeah. The, and the of boys. course, the, the girls have the choice because the community college uh, is a mixed school. Is mixed. Yeah. So they, Indeed, so they at exactly, least yeah. they 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 do have the, uh, they have the choice. And the Clonica Community School does it draw students from a, from a, a big enough area? Absolutely, yeah. It's it's a, it's a main kind of a hub school uh, for all the surrounding areas. I, I would say even out as far as you know, five, ten, fifteen kilometre radius. I mean, all, all the way down my neck of the woods here, Timaleague, Cork, McSherry, all of Barrow into Ring. Uh, on the other side, then like you'd have the likes of Kilmeen and Rossmore, uh, Shannon Vale, Banscarty. Ardfield, you know, out as far as Ross Carberry, really, you know, so huge catchment area. And as I said, like Clannacilty is, is, is growing exponentially anyway. It's, it's, a, it's a hub town um, and a key part of the council's new development plan. So you, you can already see massive amount of development going on in Clannacilty and there's more planned as well, you know. Yeah, that to me is, is the big problem here. I mean, if you're already struggling uh, with plans for extra housing, that's going to bring more people into the area, which obviously is very is very welcomed. Um, so this situation is just going to steadily get worse year after year. Yeah, absolutely. Again, we, 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 we saw it kind of, I suppose, for the first time being flagged with it this year and, you know, liaising with board of management people and uh, people and, and the Parents Association and even families themselves uh, in contact to say, you know, they were they were trying to enrol for next September, we'll say, um, but the, the, the school can only take in 125 uh, new students every year. And by, by October, November, they had already reached that number. Uh, and there was a waiting list of about 14 or 15 students who had to wait until after Christmas. Um, as, look at, and look in fairness to the Board of Management, they kind of bent their own rules to try to accommodate those students. But essentially now like there's, there's you know, a waiting list or, as you say, people just waiting to, to, to enrol. But um, yeah, that's, like that, that's, that's stressful. for the, the year ahead. That's stressful on pupils and on their parents. And it's just not oh, fair. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, yeah, and even on the school management who are trying to deal with this, look, they have enough going on, uh, you know, and all the, the, the regular issues that they have to, to deal with on a day-to-day basis and running a, such a, a school, like there's, there's over 600 students in, in, in this school in Clan already. Um, and yeah, it, as I said, it's only got to add to tensions and it's all about pre-planning. Look, we, you know, I and others would always say, look, you have your census figures and you have, as I said, the development plan will tell you how many houses are going to be built in the next five or six years you know all of those are going to have children as well you'd imagine so it's it, it would be an easy enough exercise um to try and get a kind of a, a general idea of you know capacity for for the primary schools and onto the secondary schools and afterwards so look well, all we're asking is that don't wait for the problem to you know to be a massive problem like in, in, in next year the year after you know get get your plans in place now because look it has to go through planning and all of that kind of all the statutory uh, work that has to be done to try and progress something as i said back in my time you know, it, it, it took years to, to, to progress along through the through the department's various stages, you know, to, to get to the, the, the actual final extension being built. Is there room at uh, where the where the school is, is there room to expand the community school? 
There is, I suppose, yeah. It's it's quite hem, hemmed in, all right, uh, being, being in a town centre yeah. location. But there, there there is an aspect of, of um, the area kind of to the east, we'll say. And there's a kind of a natural corridor, um, you know, between the, the Clannacilty Community College and the girls' secondary school there that I would, I would think would be ripe for development, you know, and have a proper, you know, complete education campus along, you know, as I said, between the, the secondary school up behind the convent, as it's known, and over uh, the back of um, Super Value, as we know it, and over towards the community college. So I, I think there's certainly scope for um, an extension and, and to have a proper kind of educational campus up along that area of town, you know, and uh, I think it would allow for any future expansion needs from from both schools, really. So I, I certainly think, you know, that that's where the, the, the department needs to go with their plans, you know. And are you hearing any positive responses from the Department of Education? Uh, not at the moment. No. I suppose, look, they're, they're kind of coming back to us saying, you know, they, they don't envisage, uh, you know, numbers to increase year on year, um, you know, but they're looking at national figures. I don't think they're taking to, into account kind of local little quirks in the scheme and, and as I said Clannacilty being a hub town the same as Middleton and East Cork you know we are certainly going to see a massive amount of uh, expansion like there's other aspects of infrastructure as you know we've discussed in the past about like the, the water shortages in Clan we're, we're currently trying to augment that now with, with um, pipe work uh, to, into Bandon uh, along the N71 you know, I, I'm anti engineers. We're, we're trying to progress plans for a northern relief road in Clannacilty because the, the existing bypass road is already choked up at, at busy times and especially around school drop offs in the morning and, and the evening. So, like, there's, there's infrastructure work that needs to be put in place like that. But without a doubt, like, the, the secondary school thing is, is one that's coming at us very, very quickly. And okay. I, we're, we're, like, as I said, I, I and my elected reps, uh, colleagues are trying to make a case um, and inject a bit of urgency into this because, as I said, we, we, we already saw the capacity issues um, this year. And as I said, you know, that's only going to get worse in the, in the next uh, couple and, of years. And, and I don't track. know if this is an issue in Clan or not, but I know some parts of the country are struggling with school places due to the accommodation for the Ukrainian students that, you know, ended up here fleeing at the war. Is it, do you know if that's an issue in Clan? Um, it, it, it's not a massive issue, I'd say. Look, I mean, it looks certainly, look, they're, they're, I know even in my, my own two boys uh, attend Clan Community College and they have Ukrainian uh, students who they get on with very well in in their class as well, uh, but I, I don't think it's it's a massive issue. Um, and look, I suppose hopefully for for the, the Ukrainian families that are here, you know that the, that the war you know won't continue in, in in their own country, and at some point it'll be safe for them to return home. So look, we're, we are we are all hope that that we get to that point sooner rather than later. Okay. And any yeah. you know any extra pressures on the system, whether it's housing or schools or whatever, you know that that'll that'll iron itself out but look I, I don't think that's a, a big issue Okay uh, that's good to hear Okay and, and Ed in Dermanway just to finish off is saying Patricia how can this happen what's the purpose of doing a census every five years if it isn't all about planning yeah and I think uh, Paul would agree with you on that Okay we leave it there Paul thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining thanks, us Thanks Patricia Bye bye that is uh, Independent uh, Councillor for West Cork Paul Hay Can I put a listener's mind at ease where's this WhatsApp uh, from Kath say hi Patricia I got a letter from the HSE 
stating that my medical records were hacked. Can you tell me if other people got a similar letter as I'm very worried about it? Thanking you, uh, Kath. Uh, firstly, Kath, you're certainly not on your own. There was 113,000 people that the HSE have been forced to write to whose personal information was illegally accessed and copied and it was during the uh, cyber attack on the HSE. They've been sending out these letters things since about the start of the year and they expect that everyone will be notified by next month, by the end of April. If you haven't received a letter, then you're not, your your information wasn't um, wasn't copied or illegally ac- accessed, but you're certainly not on your own, 113,000. The fact that it's just your medical information, what the HSE, first of all, the HSE have uh, said that, n- that there is no evidence at all that any of the information has been used in any kind of criminal scams or in any kind of uh, fraud. And the information that was accessed in the attack, there was some people with financial information, some were medical like yours, uh, Kath, others then was personal information like names, addresses and contact details. I think for me, the biggest worry would be if your financial information had been passed on. And they say out of the 113,000 people that they're writing to, less than a thousand had been notified that a limited amount of financial information had been accessed and uh, copied and in the main they were HSE employees or former employees but there's absolutely no evidence that any information has been used in any kind of criminal scams or fraud. Obviously they're telling people to be vigilant particularly if you get any of those phishing emails you start getting texts and whatever and the usual advice you just don't click on any of those texts that you get that you know are scams or if you get a phone call that you think is a scam just hang up on it immediately. You don't have to do anything. I mean you can you can get back onto the HSC. I think it's all contained in the letter cat you got requesting a copy of the personal information. You you are entitled uh, to get that. But but I just I would try and, and I know it's upsetting and it's worrying when you get a letter like that in the post but try, please try not to be too worried about it and as I say I know it's your medical records and your medical records are private uh, to you but I, I really wouldn't be worried about it at all but you're certainly when you say in your text did anybody else get the letters? Yes, in total 113,000 people. Many have already received the letters but they're still issuing those letters at the moment. Thanks for your WhatsApp to 0862103 3103 on the lifting of the eviction uh, ban and that heartbreaking letter that we had in from one of our listeners Joe uh, says this is he says could be a possible solution to our current housing crisis Joe says it amazes him to see how many people are living in large family homes three four and five bedroomed houses and they're living there all on their own because their family have grown up and moved on would it not be a good idea if many of these people decided to sell up those larger homes, big family homes and downsize to something smaller and then that would make the houses available to more families who are looking to purchase a property. I know, says Joe, I accept it can be hard to leave the family home but there are a lot of people who want to downsize and there are. There are also a lot of people, Joe, who don't want to leave the family home but certainly we would have heard from people who'd love the idea of downsizing but the problem is they can't get a property and trying to get kind of those one bedded, two bedded properties, uh, you know, they are extremely scarce. And of course, when people want to downsize and when, you know, people are thinking of selling up their family home, they want to remain in the area 
where they have been living, where their current house is, and that also can be a problem. But would it be a solution to some some of the housing crisis? Yeah, for sure, if there was more family homes uh, available. But I certainly wouldn't like to feel that anyone has been pushed out of the family home uh, because there are other people in need of housing. It's got to be a decision that they want to do themselves and there and there has to be smaller units available in their catchment area in order for them to even uh, consider it. A West Cork listener says, Patricia, what a sad, sad state of affairs this was listening to the letter from our listener for working families who are not even with both parents working not able to afford to purchase a home I too am considering emigrating like that lady who contacted your programme why? because of the housing crisis and let's not forget the abomination that is our health system what has this group of politicians done for us in the past many years that's from a West Cork listener Hi Patricia listening to that woman who is facing eviction along with her family and her children and how she feels at times suicidal. Now I've never faced eviction but I too was suicidal once from a very difficult situation. Basically I empowered myself with a different mindset and new mind techniques to cope better with any drastic situation and it thankfully has worked. I don't remotely have a chance of having a home of my own but my mindset around that reality has changed and I cope better now with any serious uh, situation wishing that woman all the best and that's from Tommy thanks for that Tommy and then John was on to us and said that a lot of people are going to refuse to leave the home that they're in Uh, these are people who've got a valid notice uh, to quit but we are hearing that many people particularly if you've got a family you've got uh, children people are not going to go out onto the street with uh, children so for some people what they're going to do is they're going to remain in the property even though they've had this eviction notice now they'll continue uh, to pay their rent so they'll overstay uh, it's it's called uh, it's called and they'll do it just to buy themselves some time now they know they will eventually be evicted and the bailiffs or the guardi uh, will turn up and, and they'll end up in, in a court been told on a date that they will be officially uh, evicted but it just it buys them some time and I suppose what many people are thinking of is in that time they'll hopefully find a property to rent but if it does end up at the courts John has heard that if you overstay on your property and then you end up in the courts with an eviction notice that you won't qualify for legal aid and he's wondering is that true and I simply don't know the answer so we're getting on to flack who provide the free legal aid to see if we can get an answer on that one. I mean, if you're talking about people who are on HAP, they've already been means tested for it, so they would be people that would be entitled to free legal aid. Though not everyone is entitled to a free legal aid, but um, I, I, I don't know. But then I don't, if, if it goes down to an eviction notice, d- does the tenant have to end up in court? I don't know. Anyway, listen, let's get on to Flack and let's see if we can get further information on that because that's, it would just be another worry to add to the already worries that are already, already on people's shoulders. 0818 103 103 and Michael on WhatsApp from news that's breaking from the United States with the indictment of the infamous Donald J. Trump, writes Michael. There is light at the end of the tunnel by saying that there is that possibility that America will be great again and that no one is above the law. Houdini has been caught at last. So we can all sit back and watch the American judiciary pull the rabbit out of the hat. Thanking you, says Michael, who very obviously isn't a Donald Trump fan. And what Michael is talking about is the former US President Donald Trump. Now, he is now expected that he'll appear in court on Tuesday and then he will be formally arraigned, as they say, in uh, the States. And this, of course, has all happened because 
because a grand jury in New York indicted him over hush money payments who, who, that was paid to a porn star and it was during the 2016 presidential election. He didn't want this news to get out so hush money was paid because of course obviously if it had come out it would have jeopardised his uh, presidential election and it, it will be the first time in American history that a former or serving president has ever faced criminal charges. What's been seen as a historic indictment of the 76-year-old, is that what Donald Trump is? A Republican. He denies all wrongdoings, obviously, in connection with the payments made ahead of the election that did, of course, send him all the way to the, the White House. But it is certain to upend the current presidential race in which Donald Trump is hoping to once again re gain office. It will also forever mark the legacy of the former leader. Bearing in mind, I think Houdini is probably a good word that Michael has used, Donald Trump has survived two impeachments and kept prosecutors at bay over everything from the US Capitol riot uh, to missing classified files only now to land up in court over a sex scandal that involves Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels, of course, a 44-year-old adult movie movie um, actress and uh, his lawyer, Donald Trump's lawyer says he expects he'll be arraigned on uh, Tuesday next week. So that whether that would be another court case we will all be glued to in the States or not, only time will tell. And of course, talking of American presidents, probably one of the, the best kept... Uh, not kept, best kept secret has finally been announced and that's Joe Biden. He is coming to Ireland five days from April the 11th to April the 15th. So just after Easter, we know at this stage he's going to be accompanied by his Secretary of State, that's Anthony Blinken. Not confirmed, but it is possible that the First Lady, Jill Biden, will also accompany her husband. And of course, if Jill Biden comes, and this has happened previously as well, when the First Lady comes, the First Ladies, they all engage in separate engagements. So uh, it would mean more people would get to see either Jill Biden or Joe Biden. Now, officials are admitting that the entire trip could be thrown off course or it could be cancelled. That's if the former US President... Uh, Jimmy Carter dies. Poor old Jimmy Carter. He's been receiving palliative care at his home in his native Georgia uh, for the last number of weeks. And obviously if he passes away, then I'm assuming the trip will be uh, cancelled. But all being well, Joe Biden will fly into Northern Ireland on the 11th of uh, April. He will travel to Hillsborough Castle. Of course, that's home of the Anglo-Irish Secretariat. The next day then, he will journey to Dublin. Unclear at this stage whether he'll fly to Dublin or he'll travel down in a motorcade. Now if he does opt to come down in a convoy of vehicles, that would allow him to make a stopover in County Louth, most likely in Carlingford. And of course, his family roots in Carlingford. That's through the Finnegan clan. And then the four days in the public will involve a public address whereby good people of Ireland, we the citizens, will be able to get out and see Joe Biden in person. It could happen at College Green Dublin. Now, College Green Dublin, we'll all remember the scenes when Barack Obama did his Is, Is Vader Lynn speech. That was from the stage opposite Trinity 
psychology could happen there. The speech also could be switched to the west of Ireland because Joe Biden is also going to travel to the west of Ireland because, of course, we know he's got family connections in Ballina in County Mayo, and that's through the Blewett uh, family. Joe Biden is scheduled also, obviously, to pay a courtesy call to President Michael D. Higgins when he's in Dublin. He'll do that at Oris on Uchtaram. The Phoenix Park will be the centre of all the operations in Dublin because the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, he'll host a reception at Farm Lee and that's under a draft schedule for what would be... Now, it's an official visit rather than a state uh, visit and by making it an official visit, that cuts down on a lot of the pomp and ceremony and obviously it's not as expensive as if it was a state visit. But he will travel with an entourage. They reckon about 800 American officials and journalists are expected to travel for the visit because that could play a role in any planned announcement of the US president seeking a second term of office, which of course many people are expecting. Irish officials are also expecting the White House to make final calls on many of the details with a wide range of venues and possible events explored. But certainly it'll be exciting times for County Louth and for County Mayor because it's always a great bit of fun when the president comes to town. 0818-103-103. John Paul taking your call. C103 Jobs. Staff nurse positions are available at Coon Vera Addiction Treatment Centre in Fernands. Email cvplead to fernands at coonvera.ie. A part-time office manager slash receptionist is wanted in Coolamain in Bantry. CVs to info at Jimmy Barry Motors. Or you can call Jimmy 87 Hickey Scaffolding, they've got positions available for qualified scaffolders and scaffolding labourers. It's for work in Cork and in Kerry. The number to call is 87 And a fully qualified or part qualified motor technician is wanted for Eamon Tarrant's Motors. That's in Bantier. CVs to careers at etarrant.ie. If you would like further information on any of the jobs we've just just announced or if you want to see many, many more jobs that are available, we've got a very busy job uh, section up on our website. You can go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. cmig.ie Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. Responding to an announcement by the government that rental income will not be charged to the HSC under a revision of the Fair Deal Nursing Home Support Scheme, Age Action worries that older people could be put at risk of financial abuse because appropriate supports and safeguarding measures are not in place. Nat O'Connor is the policy specialist at Age Action and Nat joins me this morning. Good morning, Jeanette. Good morning. And you're, you're very welcome to the programme. I suppose just to recap, what percentage of rental income can an older person retain at the moment under the Fair Deal scheme? 
Well, under the regular fair deal scheme, once you're you're in, 80% of your income from all sources would go to the HSC to help cover your cost of care. The HSC obviously pays the nursing home, but you pay 80%. Now, they revised this last year to say that you could keep not just 20%, but 60% of the rental income. Uh, very few people took that up. Now, they've revised it again to say that if you're renting out your home, you could keep 100%. So that's, and that's, that's going to come in in the coming weeks, we believe we don't have a set date for it. And But it's important to point out, isn't it, Nat, that not everything is covered under fair deal. So, you know, so older people in nursing homes having additional income would be welcomed. Uh, absolutely. I mean, the fair deal essentially covers bed and board. And people are often surprised to find that quite basic services that they think should be included are not. It could be as simple as a haircut. It could be certain therapies. You might need a therapeutic chair that you'd have to pay for yourself. So absolutely. I mean, we're very keen that people should have a sufficient financial situation that they can be comfortable and meet all of their needs, even if they're living in a nursing home. So that's that's very important. And of course, it varies. So it does pay to, you know, to get into the small print with the nursing home as to what exactly they provide, um, you know, for you. Uh, but your, your fear is that a, a home could be rented out against the wishes of the nursing home resident. I mean, would that be one of your fears? Well, this is it. I mean, it's it's really important that the the older person who is the homeowner has choice and control over their situation. Uh, But we know there's about 32,000 people in nursing home at any one time and about 22,000 might have a, you know, a capacity issue in terms of their cognition. They might have dementia. And so they might not be in a position to have, you know, full control over their situation. So there is a, a serious risk there. And if we look back at the last annual report from the HSE's National Safeguarding Office, there were, unfortunately, over 800 allegations of financial abuse of older persons. And in many cases, that involves a family member being involved. So, And we know that's only the tip of the iceberg because often people don't like to report uh, situations like this which happen in a family. So there's a series of measures that we'd like to see come in. Um, we, we have a new Assist Decision-Making Capacity Act, which has come in to help people uh, with, say, dementia to make decisions. But it's not fully operational. There's a new decision support service, but that won't be fully operational until the end of April. And it's going to take months until it's you know fully up and running to provide that support. We'd also like to see adult safeguarding legislation. At the moment, the HSE you know, bodies have guidelines. We'd like to see that underpinned by law so people have very clear legal requirements to make sure that there's a high standard of care, a high standard of of uh, safeguarding of older persons. And in in a similar way, we'd like to see the legal concept of coercive control expanded. At the moment, the law does recognise that in an intimate relationship, in 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 a marriage or a partnership, that one partner could be controlling the other person, basically making them do things against their preferences. And that could include sort of signing over their assets or, or financial control. But sure, we know that could happen as well with an older person, but the law doesn't recognise that. So we'd like I, to see I, that expanded. I, was, I didn't realise that. I thought course of control, you could have a child and, and, a, and a parent and, and course of control could be going on. You're saying that's not covered in the law? No, at the moment, the well, law only covers intimate relationships. So it's, it's literally like a married couple where one is coercing the other. So, so it's, it's not, the law needs to be broadened out to, to include uh, coercion. Now, there's different laws available to control children under the age of 18 if children yeah. are being abused in some sense. But it's once you're in an adult to adult relationship, parent to child or siblings or whatever, the, the law isn't there. 
So that's that's a gap. The gap yeah, in the yeah, law, we think, it yeah, could, be, could be fixed. And, we'd like and, and is it also fair to say, um, Nat, that many older people... Um, may not want to rent out their house. They like the idea of knowing that their house is there and that one day they might get back in there and therefore they don't want the house rented out. Well, there's a whole lot of things going on about this. I mean, it's not, in our view, it's not going to generate a lot of housing uh, for, for a whole lot of reasons. First of all, it should be the person's choice. And it's already, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a major life event. It can be traumatic and difficult for people to, to make that decision to go into a nursing home to, to get the care that they need. And obviously people are not going into the nursing home unless they need a significant level of care. So that's the first thing. And so they mightn't be in a position to really think through what I want to do with my house. I mean, some people do go into a nursing home temporarily after an illness or after a fall to recover and then come out again. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And so, you know, it's, it's, you know, dealing with the house or renting at the house is not going to be the first thing on people's minds. Uh, I suppose that's the first thing to say. Uh, it's also the case that people would like to stay at home for as long as possible. And that's the big if home, one. If home care was available, uh, and it used to be, you know, people were having difficulty getting the grant. Now the money is there. Uh, for people, but there's thousands of people who have the grant who just can't get the staff. They just can't secure enough home care hours. And so we're worried about people prematurely going into nursing homes who could actually stay at home if the, the home care was there. And this is well known and the state has done a number of things to try and increase the number of workers available in that sector. But it's that's where we'd like to see a lot of effort put in because pe- if people want to stay at home, absolutely they should be por- supported to do that. Would you hear from some older people, Nat, who would admit that they felt pressurised into going into a nursing home? Unfortunately, I mean, our information service does receive, uh, you know, quite a number of of, of cases of abuse uh, on an annual basis. And, you know, I know other organisations as well have, you know, reports on what they've what they faced. So there'd be situations where, you know, one family member, for example, um, who doesn't have a legal 
responsibility like enduring power of attorney, but simply has taken control of an older person's house, has maybe moved in. There's cases of people changing the locks, uh, you know, in order to maintain control of the house. Um, So there's, you know, lots of things have happened and, you know, all sorts of all sorts of difficult uh, situations have occurred. So it's it's a reality. I think, you know, that, that the fact of, you know, a house being so valuable can bring out the you know the bad side in some people you know that it really brings to the fore this is an opportunity to 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 make thousands of euro by renting it out or indeed hundreds of thousands if you can gain control of the house and have the value of it so so unfortunately that's that's a reality and we need to to make sure that you know the older person is the owner of the house it's their house and even if they have diminished capacity it's it's their decision if they can be supported to make a decision about what they want to do with it and you know, unfortunately, people do need to be protected sometimes from their own children when, when you know, the, the, the spectre of the value of the house becomes an issue. It's a sad state of affairs, but unfortunately it is reality. But it was interesting to hear you say that when they changed the fair deal, which allowed people uh, to keep 60% of the rental income, there wasn't a huge amount of houses ended up on the market for rent. No, Minister Mary Butler was talking about this. She, she thought there was an extra 24. Yeah houses were applied for this now it was only active for a month but there was certainly no rush to, to take the take the scheme now um, it's possible um, that there's there's some houses that have been rented out but they haven't alerted the HSC which would be a breach of contract and this new rule would actually perhaps normalize the situation so I have you know that that's that'd be something we need to keep a close eye on that people who have been renting out the house but not paying the HSC mm. could now perhaps regularize their situation so uh, you know it, it may bring things to the surface but I certainly don't think it's going to create a rush of hundreds of, of houses because it obviously it's it's very emotive and it's difficult because it's it's not just a case that you can rent it out it's, you're talking about packing up a person's possessions uh, changing the, the, the decor perhaps and of course there's an expense if, if a house isn't fit for letting you know you have to have your fire safety your fire alarms you know you might have to actually invest quite a bit to set a house up and again if you're going into a nursing home you, that, that that's got to be far from your first concern yeah, and I, interesting that you mentioned Minister uh, for Older People, Mary Butler. Uh, were you disappointed to hear that she hadn't been consulted before these changes were announced? Because she's got similar concerns to what you're highlighting this morning. Well, yes, absolutely. And we were very supportive uh, of the concerns that she raised. These are concerns we would have raised with her last year when this the, the earlier scheme was announced. And, and she likewise would have taken them on board and, and taken them very seriously. So because it is it is a you know, it is a major issue safeguarding. We've got to get that right. Um, I, I can understand what happened in the sense that this was part of a political deal to win a vote in the in the Oireachtas. And this was one of a number of um, requests from the regional independent group. And, you know, that there's. You know, there's good reasons to bring in um, this new mechanism that people can keep 100% of the rental income. You know, it may free up some units. It certainly may provide income for older people. So it's not a bad thing, mm. but it's a case of doing it right. And in, in our view, you know, it's cart before horse. The important thing is to have all the safeguarding in place. And now is the opportunity to to put in the extra safeguarding to make this work in, in the right way. And in fact, if we did put in the safeguarding law, it won't just benefit people in this, you know, narrow rental situation. It'll benefit thousands of people in all sorts of other situations as well. So we, we would hope that now with the awareness raised, it might get more priority from government. OK, hopefully it will, Nat. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thanks for joining us on the programme. 
Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Nat O'Connor, who is the policy specialist with uh, Age Action. Now, a very de- devoted dad is this weekend set to put in a marathon effort to help fund a very special project at the hospital that he and his family credits with the saving of the life of his premature daughter before heading to France to take part in the Paris Marathon this weekend. CJ McCarthy from Castle Lines uh, joins me. Good morning to CJ. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well. So are you all set and how has the yeah. training gone for you? Yeah, it's you know, all good to be honest. So it's in, uh, here now in uh, airport, um, ready to go, so all good. Oh, good. Okay, now you're, you're, you're no stranger to marathons. No, I suppose I, I, suppose I ran, I suppose, um, seven of them about 10 years ago, but I haven't run any marathons in the last 10 years, so it's my first one in 10 years. Was that hard to get back into the training? Do you know, I'll be honest, it was. Um, to be fair, do you know, I was in the first, I suppose, few months, it was tough. Um, but I'll be honest, as in, it's, it's been worse than that, you know. So as in, to me, I'm looking forward now to Sunday. And do you think you're as fit now as you were 10 years ago when you ran the last one? I do. do well you know, done. To be honest, I, I, I put in a, kind of a lot of hard work. Um, and, um, so I'll be honest, I've, I've had um, great support. So um, I'll be honest, I'm looking kind of forward to kind of getting, getting over there and kind of getting it done, you know. Yeah, get, get, getting started and getting it underway. Yeah. Now, this is yeah. all about you giving thanks to Cork University uh, Maternity yes. Hospital, your beautiful daughter, Lauren, who's now two. And I take it a happy, healthy, normal toddler, oh, is she? Uh, come here, is it a happy, healthy um I think great, a great girl, you know. Yeah, fantastic. Now, we've got to go back. It was during the pandemic. Yeah. Your wife, Aoife, discovered there yes. was a problem. Talk us through what happened. Yeah, so it was literally, to be honest, my um, wife, Aoife, went up to uh, CUMH, her anti-injection, and went up there, uh, the midwife, put the heart rate monitor on her, and realized something was wrong, and the whole thing then kind of kind of went from there, you know. Um, it was scary. Uh, um, but I'll be honest, luckily, as in we're here to kind of tell the kind of tale, how lucky we, we are, you know. Fair dues to that midwife. Yeah, to, for for spotting. Huge. Yeah, massive. And, and you know, in fairness to us and to me, you know, I'm I'm so grateful um, for that. To be honest, you know, um, and, and to me, kind of, I also said, if I got the opportunity, I'd um, give back. Yeah, so and the mid- and when the midwife realised there was something wrong, Eva then obviously had to go for a scan. Was it? Yeah. So as in when the midwife she was kind of rushed to A and E and um, done a scan, and with that, then I suppose as in as she kind of kept in. Um, for the night because um, again we didn't know what was wrong with her we didn't know was it a heart issue we didn't know what was wrong and then I suppose as in with that she, the following day she let go home but then we're to go up the following morning at 7 o'clock for a scan and then, then it, and she went I thought everything was kind of, kind, of, kind, of, kind of be okay but then obviously when I was over doing, doing shopping I got a call to come back because something was wrong and then the whole thing kind of, kind of went from there you know And um, but luckily to be honest as in, as in it was a, it was, it was thanks for God. Everyone was fine. She, she, she was born at three pounds, but everything was was fine. Uh, and so of course, when, when you're outlining there, Aoife's over in the CUMH. You're yeah. over in Wilton doing. It's it's not like oh, I'll just go off and do some shopping. We're talking about no. co- we're talking about COVID times. You you yes. you weren't left in. No, I'd be honest. And so even with say even with say when she ran me to say something was wrong, I had to wait in the car park. Oh. I couldn't go in. Um, and um, uh, to be fair, you know, like, it, it, it was very tough to be honest, you know. Um, and, and in fairness, you know, I was doing, like it was, it was tough. And um, even I suppose when I'd come back over, I was kind of brought in and gowned up. And as in literally, as in, and even was it after that? As in, we were, we were, um, 
when when Lauren was below in the natal ward, only only one parent at a time could go in. It was a so very tough time. It was such a yeah. tough time mm. uh, for people. So when yeah. when baby Lauren was born, three pounds was she the tiniest little thing, CJ? She was. She, I got she was kind of size of my hand. Oh. Know, she, was, she, was, she was that small, you know. Um, but so I'll be honest. Luckily. As in, with, with the help of, of of all the staff in the neonatal ward, and to be honest, I must say, as in, they were top class. You know, as in, as in, you know, it was just unreal. Yeah, anyone that has to go through that NICU unit, everybody talks about how special. Um, the staff are in there and obviously you're in there and there are other parents yeah. and there's very, very sick little babies, isn't there, in that neonatal oh, unit? Oh, there is. And, and you know, I'll be honest, it's a very, very busy environment and you know, there's just, just kind of alarms going off all over the place. But oh. in fairness, you know, it's in down there, those nurses, those doctors, is in the cleaners, every single one of them, um, in fairness to them, they, they always with a smile on their face and, and in fairness to them, as in to me, they're um, top class. So when did Lauren finally get home to big sister Zara? Six six weeks. Six so weeks. So she was up, up there for six weeks, yeah. yeah. So I'll be honest, every day, I'll be honest, we were up and down to the hospital. Um, and then I'll be honest, as in, and, um, but luckily, I'll be honest, she, 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 was, she was a fighter. And um, in fairness, her, you know, that she came home after after six weeks. And she, she, she's two and two and two months and she's thriving. That's you brilliant. Know, That's brilliant. So your fundraising efforts is for mm-hmm. something called a sanctum project. Yes. Tell me about yeah. that. So I suppose really what it is is that it's it's a kind of a neonatal sanctum. So what it is, it's kind of a place where as in sick babies um who are premature um are stillborns can go as kind of kind of kind of a glass front um on it. And kind of because the one thing I suppose with the whole I suppose the neonatal war, it's a very busy environment and as in as in, as in I, I, I always say too, you know, you would feel a bit kind of suppose disconnected from the outside world. Yeah. So I suppose with the kind of kind of sanctum um, it kind of, kind of, kind of, I kind of leaves a kind of sea, but a space, you know, and it, it, it kind of see a bit of the outside world, the sky is in, so it's, it's great, you know. Yeah, it's and they don't have one at the moment, do they? No, no, no. no. And I, I've I've seen photographs of them in in other hospitals, and they really are spectacular. Mm-hmm. And as you say, you're in the middle of that environment with you say everything, the alarms beeping, everything going off, yes, and just to yeah. go out into the sanctum and to just. As as a dad or a mom and a little baby, just to sit there. Exactly, and yeah. and to me, you know, as in, like I always say, to be honest, you know, as in, if I can make, as in, a parent, a child's um, journey that bit easier up in up in up, up in the hospital, well, to me, then that's that's great. Yeah, you're doing it for the future mums and dads. Yeah, and there will yeah. be mums and dads who will go through exactly what you and oh, Anita went through. Oh, definitely, yeah. you know, and that's why to me, I that's my fairness. We have a great facility on a doorstep up in, up in Cork and for me I think this would be a massive massive thing um, I'm, I'm for it you know OK how much do you hope to raise? Well I'll be honest I, I have I have I have, I have nearly 3,000 raised so far um, and for me I'll be honest you know, I know the whole thing is it's costing a million but look as in as in, hopefully we, we can kind of raise as much as, 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 as possible to be honest you know But you have 30,000 already? Yeah yeah That's huge yeah. support Are that family friends Family, family, friends, work colleagues. Brilliant. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in local communities. It's, it's been great, you know. And, and I, I can't thank enough the people um, for as in getting involved and supporting it. Yeah, and people know the importance of, of a unit like this. Yeah, huge. And it's yeah, it's, it's 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 through iDonate, iDonate.ie forward slash fundraiser yeah. uh, CJ uh, McCarthy. Okay, what time is your flight to Paris? So uh, quarter two. 
quarter to two. Quarter okay. to two. And, and so, see, I was checking the marathon is Sunday, isn't it? Sunday, Sunday morning. Yeah, so it's in the morning. Um, I hit off about Corpus uh, Nine Paris time, which is Corpus Eight Irish time. Okay. Um, so looking forward, to kind of get, looking forward to get it, kind of, get it kind of done and kind of raising as much money as I can for for the uh, CMH. And who's travelling with you? Uh, Aoife. Oh, Aoife's going as well. Brilliant. So yeah, will you yeah, have a little bit of a romantic weekend? How can we? To me, be honest, for me, I was in, as in the. Uh, your training and about as in getting as much money uh, raised as possible for <laughs> for CMH. To be honest, so as in to me, I'll be honest. My focus is on the market okay. on, on Sunday. <laughs> I try try and have a little bit of a romantic moment. Uh, You're definitely. in the most romantic city in the world. Okay, what exactly. time? What time are you are you aiming to do the marathon in? Do you know what I'll be honest? For me, you know, as in I run all my all my um past uh, seven marathons under four hours. Oh, um, and for me, look, yeah, and look for me, look, if, if I do that again. Great, but for me, look, the, the most important thing for me really is raising as much money as I can for yeah. the CMH. And getting over the line. Yeah, that, and getting exactly, over the line. Exactly, well, exactly, well, exactly, well, well yeah. keep our fingers and toes crossed. It would be fantastic if we, if, we did the, if we did the four hours. That really is great. Uh, listen, yeah. we'll let you go and get on that plane. And uh, yeah, the whole of Cork behind you for sure. I donate.ie forward slash fundraiser for uh, CJ McCarthy. We wish you luck with it, CJ. Thanks Thank a million. God bless. God bless. Uh, what, what a lovely man. Uh, and doing it all just as a, a thank you for what the CUMH has done uh, in saving the life of his beautiful little daughter, Lauren. We wish them all the best. We're speaking with uh, Age Action uh, this hour about the changes that have been made to the Fair Deal scheme. And on paper, great idea, older person moves into a nursing home, house is empty, they might like to rent out the property, it'll give them extra income because anyone who has a loved one inside in a nursing home will know that there's additional costs that have to be paid. So it's nice that the, the person in the nursing home, if that's what they want to do, that they might like to rent out their property and make a bit of extra income and when the changes come in sometime uh, next month from tomorrow on which being the 1st of April uh, sometime in April they're going to make changes so that the 100% of the money that comes in in rent will be they'll be able to keep and the whole idea is the government are hoping it'll free up some properties Tom is saying Patricia it's not up to our older generation to get the government out of this housing mess once upon a time they tried to take on the older people and remember they lost, oh God, Tom, do you remember that? Well, there was to be changes to the medical cards, wasn't it? Yeah, they, they certainly, the older generation, the grey vote, as it was coined at the time, uh, certainly got them to change their minds. Thanks for that, Tom. Make sure you tuned in to the programme next week as we've got a wonderful competition. We're teaming up with the Racing Home for Easter Festival, which of course is on at Mallow Racecourse in Mallow. Over the Easter weekend, uh, it opens on, there's racing on Saturday, the 8th of April Sunday the 9th which is of course Easter Sunday and on Monday the uh, 10th three great days of racing there'll be live music there there's always the most stylish lady event which is always a great day to attend that's on the Easter Sunday and it very much is a family festival so if you want to bring the children along there's lots of entertainment for the children as well and there's a family fun race day that's on the bank holiday uh, Monday right across next week we will be giving away a 
a pair of tickets for the Easter Sunday racing and we'll be giving them away every day next week but then on the Friday we'll put all of the names into the hat and one of the listener on the Friday uh, will get their prize upgraded which includes dinner for two at the restaurant and overnight stay at the beautiful Springford Hall which is located just uh, 10 minutes away from the race course so that is a wonderful wonderful prize that we'll be doing next week as part of the Racing Home for Easter Festival tickets by the way are already available if you want to purchase a ticket you just go to corkracecourse.ie. That's happening every day next uh, week. Now, some of your thoughts coming into us on housing and downsizing, which was suggested by one of our listeners saying, uh, could people who are in a large family home, not even a large one, even a three-bedroomed family home, and the family have now left and there could be a widow or a widower living there on their own. Someone was suggesting, would they not downsize, go into a smaller property and that would make more homes available for the families who are trying to purchase, a little bit like the lady who contacted us, sharing her heartbreaking story of both herself and her partner working they're over the limit for social housing they they keep getting mortgages but they just can't find a property to buy and there's very little properties to buy and of course equally very little or no properties to rent and they have to be out of their the current rental property that they're in in uh, April and someone was saying if more people downsized it would make more family homes available and downsizing it suits some people it doesn't suit everyone and this listener I'm assuming is in the Mallow area says in the current climate where will a downsizer live also you have to bear in mind when you're buying the smaller property your own home has to be put up for sale people have to put in an offer on your home you've got to put in an offer on your other home but many people wait until one house is sold before being able to buy another house Uh, so it's not as smooth that you literally would sell one house and walk into the front door of another house also I don't see many small properties for sale in the Mallow area and the ones that are are generally in a state of disrepair. Yeah, and I think if you're pitching that idea of downsizing to the older generation, they want a turnkey. They don't want to be moving into a doer-upper. Well, some might, but the majority will want to move out of their family home where they've raised a family and move into the other house. And again, the point I made earlier, which I think is similar to what this listener is making when she's talking about Mallow, to live in the area or in the town where the property you're selling and where you raised uh, your family. I think uh, a lot of people who, who have, uh, who have, people who have considered downsizing in the past will always say the same thing. They want to remain in the same area. And then we have this issue of overstaying or overholding, I think is the official term. Pat Infamoy says there are even some public representatives. There are, there are some TDs who are advising people to overhold and stay in the property. This is somebody who has a valid notice to quit the property and because they've got nowhere to go, they stay in the property. Pat is wondering though, is that dangerous advice to be giving to people? Because the person that decides to do this overstaying in the property is going to be liable, for example, for court costs. Could it end up up pushing them further into debt, which could end up giving them further problems down uh, the road? Okay, that whole term, somebody else is saying, what does does this overholding uh, mean? Uh, Overholding is where a tenant stays in the 
rented accommodation. Now, this is after the tenancy termination date and if they have a valid notice to quit. So their time has run out and unfortunately that's what's going to happen for midnight tonight with the eviction ban being lifting. Overholding is a breach of your tenancy agreement and it's also obviously a breach of the landlord's rights. Now what happens is, according to Citizens Information, it sometimes happens and it does happen and I'm fearful we're going to see more of it happening when tenants simply can't find anywhere else to rent when their tenancy uh, ends. But the fact that you can't find alternative accommodation doesn't mean that you have any rights to remain in the rented accommodation. Uh, You are technically breaking the law. But they advise that if you do decide to do overholding, you need to keep up your tenancy obligation, which means you need to keep paying the rent. Uh, The landlord obviously is not going to agree with continuing the tenancy by accepting the rent, but you need to keep uh, paying the rent. And what then happens is the landlord will refer the dispute to the Residential Tenancy Board, uh, the RTB, to get you to leave. The RTB then has to adjudicate on the issue. They may issue a determined order which orders you then to leave. If you stay in the rented accommodation after you get the RTB determination order, then the landlord goes to the district court to get an order enforcing you and to have you evicted. And if you go to court for overholding, you may have to pay your landlord's legal costs as well as your own. So you can see it's not something that people will easily do. But I suppose some people may decide to overhold and stay in the property just to buy themselves some time, wait for the landlord then to refer it to the RTB. I'm assuming the RTB are going to have a number of these cases that that's going to take quite some time and maybe people will wait until the RTB tells them to leave and don't go as far as the district court. I can foresee that possibly happening. But yeah, but it's it's a decision that some families, will they make? Will they decide to overhold? Yes, unfortunately. And these are law-abiding people who have probably never even had a parking ticket but if you've got children and you want to keep a roof over your children's head you can understand why people will go to, to those lengths 0818 103 103 Marie and Mallow has been on to say is there any sign of electricity or gas prices coming down Marie has noticed that the price of home heating oil yeah I mentioned that earlier on in the week home heating oil is coming down but we don't seem to see any moves on gas and electricity prices are still incredibly high well I did see that board Gosh, and I was disappointed to see this. They say they've no intention of reducing prices here in Ireland. Despite the plans by the parent company, they're cutting fees um, to the British market. The multinational, multi-international energy firm that owns both Board Gosh here in Ireland and British Gas across the water says it's going to introduce lower prepaid prices for British customers and they're doing it from tomorrow the 1st of April and they're actually going to be then the cheapest option for people getting gas and electricity in Britain but speaking to the Irish Examiner a spokesperson for Board Gosh confirmed that the company will not be lowering the prices in Ireland and they say that the price cuts across the water reflected updates in Britain's budget which incentivised the company to reduce energy fees the spokesperson said that the government in this country have no 
such incentives for the energy company to lower their prices. And bearing in mind that last autumn, Board Gosh introduced substantial price hikes. Their average residential electricity bills went up by 34% and their gas bills went up by 39%. And when they brought that in last um, October, the changes marked Board Gosh's fifth price hike in two years and board gosh have uh, over five over half a million residential and business customers so no sign of board gosh uh, reducing their electricity prices in the foreseeable future and then i came across a report and a study that's out from the Department of the Environment, which is showing at least half of all householders who were surveyed as part of this study admitted that they were cold in their own homes for all or some part of every day during the winter energy crisis. Turning radiators down or off was one of one of the most common responses to the spikes in electricity and fuel prices. Around 80% of people who took part in this study said they had to take steps to curb their energy use to try to keep the bills down. And this was while obviously the prices were soaring. Uh, up to 33% of them said they would not be able to pay their bill at all if it rose again. And what what this study is showing is the heavy impact that the crisis is having on ordinary people. And there was an environmental impact as well, because it's interesting that this study was conducted by the Department of the Environment, because the when the people were surveyed for this study, 40% of them said that they were now burning more coal, more wood and more turf and they were doing that to avoid using their central heating. So the good people in the Department of the Environment won't be happy with that. But, you know, needs must. If you're going cold and you can't afford the oil or you can't afford the gas or the electricity for your central heating and you have an open fire or a stove and you can get your hands on coal or wood or turf a little bit cheaper, I know what most people are going to do. And despite the discomfort that people endured, many say they were still shocked when the bills arrived, up to 67% saying they were higher or much higher than what they had expected. And these were people who really went to great efforts to cut down. And some of these people said they were actually cold cutting down and still the bills came in higher or much higher than they had expected. Large numbers said they were worried that their next bill would be higher again. And the fear factor was high for most, with the top three worries being having to be cold during the wintertime, the inability to pay the bill when it arrives, and then that feeling of having no control over the current circumstances. 33% said they feared having to choose between their mortgage or rent payment and having to pay their energy bills. And there was just 16% who said they were comfortably uh, managing to pay higher bills even if energy bills went up, up to 16% said, yeah, financially we're doing okay, we are going to be okay, but the majority are not. When asked what they were doing to reduce the energy use and to save money, almost everybody said turning off lights when there was nobody in the room. I think we all got used to doing doing that and we're still getting used to doing that. 75% said they were using their central heating less. More said they were wearing more clothes when the weather turned cold. And then the things like using the larger appliances, the washing machine, the dishwasher and the tumble dryer, many people said using that less often. More than half of those surveyed said they're now taking shorter showers. 
and they're turning their heater, heating down or they've lowered the uh, temperature. And a third switched energy provider when they found a better deal and a third also deployed draft excluders around the house. So people are really bringing their A-game here, doing their best to try to save on the electricity and the heating. And almost everyone said that when the crisis was over, they would continue to take steps to reduce their energy use. So that certainly would be good news for the Department of the Environment. People are really trying. And a majority of all the groups that were surveyed um, at all... as part of the survey, all of them, um, well, the majority of all of them said that the government supports the 200 euro in particular uh, introduced to help with the rising energy costs was really, really helpful indeed. But no surprise really to see that 80% of people saying while we tried our best to reduce our energy uh, costs, uh, we still saw bills uh, coming in higher than what we expected. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. You're invited to learn how to research your family history. It's an event going on in Bandon Library this afternoon at 2 o'clock. You can join Helen Sisk for an introductory talk on how to find your ancestors, and that's by using online resources. If you'd like to book a place, you can 023 A fundraising bingo for Cladove National School is going to be held tonight in Crookstown Community Hall, half past seven. Books were available at the door. There's also a raffle. Proceeds from the night going towards the funding for interactive and smart boards for the classrooms at Cladove National School. Kinsale Branch of the Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind holding a fundraising bingo. Acton's Hotel in Kinsale tonight with an eight o'clock start. Kayleigh Sets will go on in the Marion Hall in Ballinhasic tonight, dancing from half nine to half twelve. Music is by Ubrian. Admission ten euro, including teas. Social dancing at Dara Community Centre, that's on tonight. Dancing to Peter Burke from 9pm to midnight. Admission ten euro. Light refreshments will be served and proceeds going towards the upkeep of the community centre. There's bingo in Mallow GAA Complex tonight, that's at 8.15. Jackpot 5,600 euro and that's Finbar Sheen, 10 years tonight celebrating calling the bingo numbers in um, Mallow GAA. Good luck with it, Finbar. Bingo's also on in the store in Kildallery Creamery uh, tonight, 8 o'clock with a jackpot of €1,460 and a flag day for Lakela Family Resource Centre. It's been held in Mallow uh, today until 4 o'clock this afternoon. You're asked to please support the efforts of the centre and the Mallow Community Health Project in providing low-cost counselling and art therapy services. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Court today at C103.ie. Court today on C103. 
And soccer fans, please note that the Premier League Live is back on C103.ie with Trevor Welch tomorrow from midday, powered by Talk Sport. Now, tomorrow, Trevor will be bringing you live coverage of Manchester City versus Liverpool. That's a 12.30 kickoff. Arsenal taking on Leeds, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then Chelsea will take on Aston Villa at 5.30. That's the Premier League Live online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You can listen on Saturdays on the C103 app or you can go to c103.ie. I was reading out all the items from the community diary and I've just spotted a few texts that have come in asking for a quick mention. Marion was on to say Middleton GAA bingo is on as usual this evening, half past seven with great prizes on offer. And Declan Anger will be in Theo Park in Laba Malaga this Sunday afternoon and that's between three and half past uh, five. Now, listener wants to know, how do you ask Patricia, if you have a loved one in a nursing home and receiving the fair deal and you decide to rent out, it's your mother's, the mother's uh, home through the fair deal, because she's under fair deal will that money um, will the money under fair deal be reduced no this is where the changes are coming in it's not in yet it's due to come in uh, sometime in April we're told and what's going to happen is they're going to change the way the fair deal operates at the moment if your mam's house your your mam is in a nursing home if if your mam decided she wanted to rent out her property um, 60% of she could keep 60% of the money would go back in under fair deal. What they're now doing is they're allowing 100%, no matter how much money your mother earns from the rental income, your mother's going to be able to keep that. It doesn't interfere with the fair deal scheme at all. But you've got to wait for that change to come in. And it was agreed, it was one of the agreements uh, that was made. It was one of the demands from the regional independence. They wanted that brought in. There's been a number of groups have been fighting for it for a while. But then you do have the likes of... Um, Age Action who spoke with us this morning I know alone who represent older people they've always felt that when this change would come in of 100% of the rent that the person could keep there's always the fear factor that some older people will be under pressure from their family to either go into a nursing home or maybe under pressure to rent out the home and they mightn't like the idea of their family home being rented out and that's been one of uh, the negatives about it on the other side uh, in your particular case your mother might love the idea of making a little bit of extra income while she is in a nursing home. I mean, I, I do know there was one story we heard about of a woman contacted us. It was about her grandmother had gone into a nursing home and her uncle had rented out the house without granny knowing that her family home had been rented out and this granddaughter took the grandmother out for a drive one Sunday afternoon from the nursing home and the grandmother wanted to drive by the house uh, where she had lived and of course when they drove by it was very obvious somebody else was living in the house I think there was children playing in the garden and the grandmother got really really upset about it and wasn't aware that her son had rented out the property now that to me would be seen as a bit of financial abuse going on because I'm assuming if the mother didn't know that her house had been rented out do I assume that the son wasn't giving her the money either but anyway I don't know that I just I do remember that story uh, from a few uh, years ago so there is a lot of groups like Sage Advocacy they they advocate on behalf of older people they're always saying that look if an older person wants to rent out their home that is fine but it has to be their decision but they've already heard from older people who discovered that when they went into the nursing home a son or a daughter or another family member changed the locks 
while they were inside in the nursing home uh, and that's just simply wrong and that's all financial abuse and you certainly don't want that to happen but back to your question will your mother be able to keep 100% of the rental income yes she will and will it affect how much is paid under fair deal absolutely absolutely not 0818 103 103 I mentioned medical cards earlier on I can't remember why, why I was talking about medical cards but that has prompted somebody to say that uh, it's a good move that Ukrainians are to be means tested for their medical cards. This is something that got announced yesterday, I think it was by Stephen uh, Donnelly, um, that the Ukrainian refugees that are here, they will be if they're entitled to a med, well, they are entitled to a medical card. But what's going to happen is, once they're living in this country over a year, then they will have to be means tested to see if they're still entitled to the uh, medical card. What has been happening at the moment, and certainly was happening all this year, as Ukrainians fleeing the war, when they arrive here, they're automatically entitled to a, a medical card. But the Cabinet Committee on Ukraine heard that the Department of Health is now drawing up plans that will see Ukrainian subject to the very same means assessment as everyone else. Now what they're they're not bringing it in straight away because already there will be some Ukrainians that are in this country over a year. Some would have come certainly in March of last year. So what they're now going to do uh, is that Ukrainians whose medical cards are due for annual renewal because their their year is up they will initially get a three month extension and Stephen Donnelly has insisted on this three month deferral just to ensure adequate communication can be made to the Ukrainians. Now all incoming Ukrainian arrivals will continue to get a medical card for their first year here in this country and that won't be means tested but after that they'll then be subject to the same standard means assessment as everybody else living here and in circumstances where an applicant may be over the limit uh, they for a medical card they then can be assessed for a GP uh, visit card and of course we know there are a, a large number of Ukrainians who have come to this country and have taken up paid employment so they, they it is very possible that some of the Ukrainians that have arrived here are in uh, solid uh, employment may be over the limit and they will lose the medical card but they may be able to get a GP a visit card and I think most people including the Ukrainians themselves will see that as the fairest that they will be assessed the very same way as anyone else in this country is assessed for a medical card as I say that will come in once from three months from when somebody gets their notice that their uh, medical card is due for renewal 0818103103 and thank you to John and Croom who was on about scratch cards we got this was it earlier this week or was it last week somebody was on about scratch cards they got a a load of scratch cards for Mother's Day remember that and they won I think it was only four euro beat this one and I don't think I've ever uh, seen one as bad as this John recently purchased a hundred euro worth of scratch cards now you're thinking what's John buying a hundred euro worth of scratch cards he doesn't have an addiction to scratch cards he was giving them out to grandchildren I'm, I'm assuming maybe birthdays confirmations I don't know but they were divvied up between all of his grandchildren out of a hundred euro worth of scratch cards how much do you think John's grandchildren won I wish I had a drum roll for this none of them won anything out of a hundred euro worth of scratch cards, there wasn't one winning card.
card. And I don't know, out of the 100 euro, um, where they some you can buy five euro scratch cards, can't you? And you can buy two euro, so three euro ones as well. But that's incredible, John. I, I would dare somebody to beat that, somebody who knows more than, a, than 100 euro was spent on scratch cards and to have absolutely not one win on any of the cards. Hugely disappointing indeed. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And we welcome Mark Malone to studio. Good afternoon, Mark. I'll talk to you. Uh, you're very welcome. Okay, thank you for talking to me. Okay, you <laughs> went to the movies first. Uh, the first movie you went to see was John Wick, Chapter 4, and the second is Boston Strangler. Let's take a quick trailer from John Wick. Woke up this morning. 42 regular, wasn't it? Yeah. And so it begins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living in this time behind enemy so I got a hope if you win, the table will honor its words. You'll have your freedom. And when I see you, I'm gonna take what I want, so... Amen. I, John Wick, this, I, I'm seeing chapter four, so I'm assuming, is this the fourth movie? Yeah. Yeah, no, it doesn't ring a bell with me at all. Oh, really? Not on my radar. Uh, well, my first question was, to, was, have you seen any of them? But no. I knew you wouldn't have, because look, and I, these are, I don't think, knowing you as well as I do, I don't think you'd particularly be fond of them, to, to be brutally honest with you. Well, seeing things like the grim messiah of death <laughs> making every bullet count, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um... Well, I'll tell you what, he, he certainly wasn't paid by the word to make this film because okay. uh, he actually speaks 150 words of this whole film. Please don't say you counted. I did, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to know the kill counts as well? Oh, what was the kill count? The kill count, all right, in the first film it was 77. No, by the way, this is not the kill count of the whole film. These are the people he individually killed, the, the character of John Wick. So in the first film he kills 77 people. In the second film he kills 128 people. In the third film he kills 94 people. And in this film he kills 140 people. Please don't say we see him kill 140 people. You certainly do. Um... And the thing is, is when the first film came out, I mean, it was a small movie, it was a small budget movie, and it was great to see Keanu back again, looking good, looking well. Yeah. And uh, he played this character, John Wick, who is this kind of ex-assassin who comes out of retirement because somebody kills his puppy. And uh, and he's not best pleased, so he decides to kill everybody. Uh, and he ends up in the first film, as I say, killing 77 people. And it was really, really kind of entertaining, do you know what I mean? It was complete nonsense, of course, you know what I mean? And all these films uh, all look to uh, the films of Hong Kong and the films of kind of Jackie Chan, like Police Story and films like yeah. that uh, because he just basically just walks into a building with uh, populated by 50 people and then just proceeds to kill every single one of them now it's really really handy that they all come at him one by one you know what I mean how do you you know you know, they, this is kind of long running joke in all the films he cannot be killed well if four people walk up to him and shoot him but apparently he can do- dodge bullets can uh, John Wick do you know what I mean he is pre- pretty well indestructible in this film but is he just killing bad people he's killing oh they're all bad people oh, right, okay, oh yes right. let's make that quite clear now okay. oh yes and um, but the thing is he kills them all one by one do you know what I mean and it's all hand to hand combat and then he just shoots people or if he has an axe or a knife or, or, or whatever whatever's so, handy yeah exactly <laughs> exactly and or a pencil as we see in this film and the thing is is that uh, you know in the first film it was a small film and it was really really enjoyable and I really liked it then in the second film uh, somebody steals his car and that becomes a big major deal oh my goodness me somebody has stolen John Wick's car so he decides to kill everybody uh, they're all Russian gangsters so, so that's fine okay the third film I know I saw and I reviewed by you, but I was trying to think back about it and I was thinking, 
I don't remember any very much about it because I became quite kind of bored. There's a, I remember there was a very silly car chase, but he's on um, he's on a horse. And there's people shooting at him. And all they have to do is shoot the horse. Do you know what I mean? But, of course, you know, uh, after the first film, because there was a lot of criticism, the fact that even though he killed 77 people, a puppy was killed. We can't have that. They obviously decided that they can't, can't kill a horse. Can't kill a horse. So here we are, uh, the fourth film. And uh, so I was quite bored with the third film. So, But this film has been very, very well received. And uh, I thought, you know, uh, in this film, uh, they've kind of... Uh, now they've got a huge budget. And now he's become James Bond. And now he's travelling all over the world. Now he's in North Africa. And now he's in he's in France. Now he's in Paris. Do you know what I mean? There's a scene in the Champs-Élysées uh, where he kills, I don't know, 20 people on the Champs-Élysées without a cop uh, even appearing. Because apparently, you know, we don't don't see one policeman throughout this whole thing when he's killing people we don't see one policeman or woman at any stage whatsoever and so the thing is is that it's just constant murder it's just constant killing it's just him going into buildings and just picking off people one by one uh, it's nearly three hours long and I have to admit that but it would I, need to be we're going to see 140 people being assassinated uh, well he can he can kill people pretty quickly you know by what I mean? the second you know <laughs> He he does it pretty quickly, and um, and I have to admit, and even though this has been very well received, I think it's on Rotten Tomatoes. It's at ninety four percent, which is amazing. Do you know what I mean? The six percent that didn't like it, and unfortunately, agree with me. I got very very bored. It's too long. I, I found it incredibly tedious. I really did. Uh, there were some moments that I really really liked. That there's a tribute to Lawrence Olivia at the very very start. Do you remember that scene very at the start of the Lawrence Olivia? Somebody lights a match, yeah, which turns yeah, yeah. into the sun, yeah, which is above the shimmering desert, and then we see Omar Sharif way in the background you know, on a camel coming towards Beautiful the scene. Beautiful scene, They yeah. completely recreate this scene oh. in this. But it's John but Wick. It's John Wick. Again, on a horse. And, um, and so I enjoy that. And there's references to John Wayne, uh, John, not John Wayne, to, um, to, uh, to a lot of Westerns. I mean, it's like a modern Western. Uh, there's reference to, as I say, a lot of Hong Kong uh, cinema to James Bond and, uh, and so on. There's even a scene, for example, where as he's on one of his murder sprees, we have a DJ kind of commenting and kind of giving us a running commentary on how that's happening. And that's a direct lift as well from Vanishing Point, a film back in the early 70s with Barry Evans. And so there are a lot of references uh, to a lot of other films that I did enjoy. But I tired of the repetition, you know, because a lot of the fight scenes, they're exactly the same. Now, they put a lot of work in. They, they, they obviously, you know, worked hard with the stunt people and he does a lot of his, his own stunts. But a lot of them are very similar. You're watching the same thing over and over again. I got very, very tired of it. And I think I actually fell asleep for about five minutes, <laughs> which I never. They could have cut out half. He could have. He could have reduced the death toll and by a half. And, and the running yeah. time. And it, yeah. because the first film was only an hour and a half. And again, it goes back to what I've always said. Look, just keep it tight. That's all you got. So yeah. a lot of blood and gore. There's not too much of it actually. Okay. I mean, that's the one good thing about it. But you know, there's scenes where he'll fall. But he's become Superman. He'll fall thirty uh, feet onto his face, and of course, there's, stand up. there's not one little bruise but, but, on but, Keanu's beautiful but, face. But just to be clear here, he isn't an. He isn't a superhero. He's, no, he's, he's a human he's being. being. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he, there's a scene where he gets hit by three cars, gets back up again. He is shot. He is stabbed. He gets back up. As I, you do. I've got a paper cut, right? I got it two days ago and it still hurts. Do you know what I mean? There's a scene where he falls down this never-ending staircase. He goes on and on and on and on. He gets up and he's like, oh, I'm okay now. 
one of the three of his 150 words that uh, he had learned, uh, you know, for the script. Uh, yeah, so I'm afraid. But he looks good in it. Uh, yeah, well, he always does. Yeah, yeah, he, does, yeah. he does look great. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, look, fans of the f- f- first three films, if you really love them, I really like the first one. Uh, not so much the second and the third. I'm tired of it. But um, look, it has been very well received. And people said, look, he has restored our faith in action movies once again. Uh, okay, mark it no, out of 10. Too long and violent for me. Uh, I still give it a five. Five out of 10. Yeah. Okay, that is John Wick, chapter four. Now, Boston Strangler is yeah. where we're going next. Uh, this is a new this version of the of true the story. story. Uh, yeah, the true yeah. story of the Boston Strangler back in uh, the early sixties. There was a, a version back in nineteen sixty-eight uh, with Tony Curtis and Henry Fonda, which I remember seeing. I know I've seen it, but I don't yeah. really remember too much about it. But I think in that film they tended to concentrate on uh, the person who uh, they thought was the killer and also his relationship with the police. Whereas this one, it's it's very very different. Uh, this is about uh, uh, the character of Loretta. I was going to say McLaughlin but she's constantly referred to in that American way McLaughlin uh, throughout the whole film It is McLaughlin Uh, Yes but they say McLaughlin and she uh, works for a newspaper in uh, Boston and um, straight away the film kind of sets out exactly what it's going to do and how it's going to kind of uh, direct our attention Uh, and that is it's going to talk about the sexism of uh, of the late 50s and uh, and 60s and uh, she works for this newspaper and straight away the very first scene of the film you go into the press room all the men are in the corner they're all smoking the, yes drinking it's not a smoking drinking and they're all the crime scene investigators because they're all and they're all fat and middle aged and bald and all the women are in the corner and they are given very very different assignments in the newspapers you could imagine they have to do the fashion oh, and they have to do the kind of that was the that was, that's what it was and that's what it was, what it was that's yeah. the reality of it and as you can imagine Kira Knightley here plays uh, Loretta McLaughlin and uh, she's quite frustrated by that and she hears about this uh, murder um, in a building next door where this young uh, actually uh, quite an elderly woman has been uh, um, has been, and, and I'll point out why I said that um, uh, has been uh, murdered and uh, murdered with a scarf and so she then goes to her editor and says look I want to work on this story and of course there the sexism begins and he's going look you know you, you, you do the fashion stuff you know stick with that I've got these men here who can deal with all of that kind of stuff so she decides in her own time to investigate um, the, the murder and then there's another murder and then there's another murder mainly of middle aged women and she finds that there is a link and that there is a tie to them and she then begins to um write about this and uh, but unfortunately then of course the men step in the way and say look you know you're inexperienced you can't do that even though she was the one to reveal that there was a link between these uh, murders but then what happens is that uh, the murderer uh, if there is just the one uh, has changed his tactics and then we find that there are murders of much younger women which gives the impression as though maybe there are two people involved and two different people involved and maybe the second murderer is beginning to kind of, you know um, hang on the kind of coattails of uh, the original murder and uh, and do it for, for kind of publicity. Um, and so it's about the um, investigation of, of these murders. It is based on a true story. Yeah, th- she, she really, she really she was the real crime writer or she became the crime writer. Indeed, and in fact yeah. she came out, initially the, the murderer was called the phantom them and she, she came up with the, the Boston Strangler um, um, way of uh, referencing uh, the, the killer and then the film, there's been a lot of conspiracy theories uh, down throughout the years and so one of the criticisms of the film is that uh, it deals with that but I think it does it in a very very smart and intelligent way because it does deal with the fact that yes maybe there was more than one killer and who was the killer uh, a character by the name of uh, Albert DeSalvo, now he admitted 
committed the crimes um, and um, he subsequently though they found no evidence of his um, um, having done that but later I think only a few years ago with DNA they were able to match him with one of the murders but only the one wow. Yeah. so the film deals with all of that not only the sex of the 60s not only does it deal with you know the, the investigation it also deals also with as I say the, the disparate kind of uh, opinions that people still have was Albert de Salvo really working on his own was there another and did he kill everybody so it's a fascinating story it's beautifully done it's beautifully realised I mean the recreation of uh, the early 60s uh, in Boston so there's a lot of Boston accents there's a lot of you know, park and the cat have a gad and, yeah, and I can almost in my mind's eye visualise the hacks the male hacks with those trench coats they used to wear <laughs> and the cigarette and the hat yeah is that kind of look going for their coffee yeah exactly and it's yeah. beautifully realised and it's beautifully recreated you know what I mean and uh, the film looks good it's beautifully made it is a bit too long the third kind of quarter I think uh, the pace that the first half of the film had kind of it begins to kind of um, slow ever so slightly um, the, um, the the last quarter is very very good and Kira Knightley is excellent I mean I've been a critic I've been a critic of hers in the past but as she's gotten older I think she's become much more experienced her American accent is spot on I have to say and she is absolutely terrific and um, you know if you like this kind of thing you know we've seen it in the past films like Zodiac mm, and uh, mm. you know I like them I that, that, yeah, that, and I, I have to say that appeals to me certainly this one I think uh, you will very much enjoy yeah uh, you won't enjoy John Wick 4 okay. I know that but uh, Boston I Boston certainly recommend Strangler it. okay mark it out of 10 I'll give it 8 okay 8 out of 10 and when you talk about Keira Knightley as a, as a good actress are you, did you follow any of the Gwyneth Paltrow did you see any of her evidence because I heard some people saying she's just a brilliant actress um, do you know I didn't yeah. and I, I, I kind of read headlines every now and then I, it's not really something that uh, particularly interested me I'll be honest with you I yeah. mean I know look uh, from, from, if I'm interested in Hollywood if I'm interested in, but I'm interested in movies I'm not really interested in, yeah, she in got, the she got, well she was found innocent I mean I do, I do think she was innocent because I, I followed uh, the case but it was just I saw some criticism saying that you have to bear in mind it was a little bit like with the Johnny Depp mm-hmm. um, Amber Heard one that at times you're looking at it thinking God am I watching a movie no I'm not I'm watching real life that, that there is that I saw a very strange conversation alright uh, I, I saw something where she was uh, being interviewed by the um, the plaintiff or the other who is it the other guy's uh, lawyer and there was a very Sanderson. there was a very strange conversation between them and uh, and I thought it was very very odd and it was like something out of a movie they were the attorneys yeah the, the attorney the, yeah, yeah. The, I tell you the attorneys could 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 make it big in Hollywood for sure yeah. alright ok listen thanks for that Mark have okay. a great week and we'll chat uh, to Mark Malone our movie reviewer we'll chat to him again next week so that's where I bid you goodbye for today and for this week uh, thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Riches with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you on Monday morning at 10 until then I'm Patricia Messenger enjoy the rest of your Friday and have a lovely weekend Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie